Thank you. I like how you try to hijack my sermon there, but that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> Good morning, everybody. My name is Shirley. I'm not just Simon's wife. I am a very uh, keen mother. I have three little ones downstairs, and um, believe it or not, I actually had a life before children, um, which may seem hard to believe. Um, but for those of you who are here who are moms, well done. This is that one day of the year where people get to pretend that they can make up for everything with just one day and one bunch of flowers. My eight-year-old gave me a stick of gum. Here you go, mom. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I need to teach you some things. Anyway, so... Um, before I met Simon, I moved to London. I was about 24, and I was just following God with all my heart, and I wanted adventure. Little, I, little did I know that I would end up in a city that would not only change my life, but I would meet my husband there, and I would become a mom. So take your mind's eye to this little flat in Paddington, London. So it's this very concentrated part of London. Central London is maybe like a mile or two across at most, and we were just around the edges of that. I um, was heavily pregnant, and we were two days overdue, so I was just like, oh my gosh, this baby has to come now. We were so excited. We had our little crib. It was a one-bedroom apartment, so he was gonna be in with us, and we had everything. And then, you know, the pain started, and we're on the phone, and it was all very bewildering and overwhelming, um, but super exciting, although we didn't know what was gonna happen. Anyway, um, we took a black cab. I don't recommend this. We took a black cab to the hospital when it was time, and um, I was trying very hard to be quiet and full of decorum in the back. <laughs> Um, which is why you shouldn't take a black cab when you're in labor. Anyway, I think the guy just kept checking me out in the rearview mirror, like, should I be running these red lights? Anyway, so we arrived, and they, our room wasn't ready for whatever reason, and we were waiting, and it was getting more and more intense, and um, then the room was ready, but then I, was, I wanted to have a water birth, and... They'd filled it up, but then it was full of soap, and they were like, oh, no, sorry, we have to drain the whole thing, we have to fill it up again. I was like, oh, my gosh, okay, this is getting intense. Um, and then my waters broke, and there was something wrong. They noticed that there was something wrong, and so they were like, and we are really sorry, but we need to move you to... Um, to where the doctors are. I was in a place called the delivery center where sort of the midwives were helping. So I, I didn't think I could make it without my gas and air from the room that I was in to the place where the doctors were. They were like, it's okay, you can make it. So they took us there. There were like six or seven doctors in the room. I was strapped up, I don't know what was going on. They were like, we're losing him, we're losing him. Apparently the baby's heartbeat was going down. I, I was just completely, I don't even know what state I was in. I remember they put a drip in my hand and I was like, ow! And I could just remember the look on the woman's face, like, seriously, lady? Like, you're saying, ow? <laughs> I'm like, hey, I wasn't focused on my hand, okay? <laughs> um, 
Anyway, eventually, it was a very traumatic long birth. Um, he was presented wrong, and they, his heartbeat was going down, and so they had to use like a weird suction cup thing to like help pull him out. Anyway, long story short, this little thing arrives on my stomach, and it does not look good. It's, it's just... It, had this little pointy shaped head from being sucked out and just covered in stuff. And I was just like, oh, okay. <laughs> and, then, and then they had to like wheel me off to surgery and they left the baby with Simon and I didn't, I didn't see him. And then it was only like a couple of hours later that they finally brought me Isaac and they cleaned him up and I was just like, oh my gosh. But it was so overwhelming and so rushed and so I felt like completely out of control and in that moment or in those hours that followed it was like Simon and I had this complete overhaul of life as we had known it and the only thing that I can think of that relates in the same revolutionary huge life impacting way was when I came to know Jesus for the first time and what was so amazing about this was just as in the picture of, you know, when a mother gives birth and there's this, it's this crazy journey through pain and darkness and no control and um, eventually this baby is born and new life comes in. And when Jesus came into my life and I've had many friends who have shared me, with me their stories, it is a case of God reaching down into the mess, into the muck, into the mire of our lives and raising us up and giving us new life. It says in Ephesians 2, and this is one of my absolute favorite verses. There should be a slide, but if you wanna look it up in your Bible, it says, um, verse one to verse four, I'm cutting out a little bit, but it says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. So not only does he give us new life, I, I love, there's a story in John 3 where this old guy, Nicodemus, he comes to Jesus in the secret of night and he says, okay, tell me, seriously, give me the real deal. What, what, are, you, what are you talking about? Are you really who they're saying you are? And Jesus says to him, if you wanna know the kingdom of God, you have to be born again. And he's like, what, I don't understand. How can a grown man enter the womb again? And Jesus says, no, you don't understand. You need to be born again of the spirit. And there's something amazing that happens when we come to Jesus and he makes us alive on the inside. Not only are we made alive, but we're transferred from darkness to light. It says in Colossians 1.13, he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. In Isaiah, it also says, though your sins were like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. And to me, my whole 
like the whole dynamic of life, the whole framework of life changed when I realized that I was now responsible for this helpless little bundle of joy. And when I came to know Jesus and continue to know Jesus, because it's not like you just come to Jesus once and then life is just peaches and cream thereafter. You come to him again and again and again because he is our source of life. He is the spirit of Christ. He lives within us. He is that source, that strength that we draw from. But what is important to me is that with new life comes a completely new identity. And I feel like this is really important because as Christians, we can sometimes get a little bit stuck in how are we supposed to live out this wonderful, amazing, mysterious thing. Okay, so I've come to Jesus and I believe in Jesus and I've found Jesus, but what does that actually mean and what does it mean for my life and my friendships and my work? Um, well, let me tell you something. When you become a mom, just, just stay with me. Everything about life as you knew it changes. Number one, you will never sleep again. Well, at least for about 10 years. <laughs> um, if you have a puppy dog, then maybe you get somewhere close to that. They're being woken up every few hours. I have a friend. Um, but, you know, your newborn baby needs to be fed. So not only are you getting lack of sleep, but your whole world revolves around basically keeping this little thing alive. And, oh my gosh, it's crying. What is it crying for? I remember this one time. <laughs> um, Isaac had been home for maybe a few hours. I don't know, maybe a few days. And I was resting, because um, obviously I was the milk machine, so I had to output and then rest to recharge. And he needed to be changed. And I, Simon had him in the lounge, changing him on the couch. And we had this little change table, and I just heard, oh, 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 surely, surely. And I came running, and there was something obviously in my milk, but he was just spouting green poop, and it was just like the sea coming out and over the couch, and he kept wiping, but more just kept coming. <laughs> I just laughed so hard. <laughs> it was so great. <laughs> I was like, good luck with that. And I went back to bed. <laughs> no, I can't actually remember what happened. But yeah, you know, it was just this whole like, wow, like I've never dealt with this kind of thing before. You know, so not only that, but appendages, you know, you, if you want to go somewhere and you've got the baby and you've got the car seat and you've got the bag and then you've got your bag and then you've got the baby's change of clothes and then you've got your change of clothes for when they puke on your shoulder and then you have to change your shirt or you can just turn it around, that's also acceptable. Um, so, you know, life just looks very different. But one really profound thing that also happened was it changed the way, like fundamentally, I actually saw my body. Now, I mentioned how difficult Isaac's birth was. Um, and so for about 12 hours after the birth, I actually couldn't move. They had had to give me um, 
like a local anesthetic, uh, not general, local anesthetic, so that they could, you know, fix me up and it, you know, just get me um, not sort of dying, um, <laughs> which was helpful. But I, I couldn't move for about 12 hours. So Simon was the one that was kind of bringing the baby to me to be fed and changing. And when I finally did get up and I went to the bathroom, and there was the mirror, and this was me by myself with my body for like the first time. And I mean, if you've ever given birth, um, you'll know that it's, your body is just, it's like a war zone afterwards. And it's, you know, it's swollen and it's covered in stuff. But I just felt so utterly blown away. And I was looking at my body and I was like, Look what you did. I cannot believe what you just did. You made a person. You, like, I was just like, oh my gosh. Like, I am so sorry. And I had this moment where I felt like I had to repent for the ways that I had abused my body in how I thought about it. You know, as a young girl and growing up in that you, the way you look is so crucial to your value and worth in society. And you know, you can be pretty critical of yourself. Yeah, I don't really like that little bit that wobbles there. And oh, I don't really like this and that. And I was just like, oh my gosh, like we are crazy. This is such a beautiful, strong thing. And I had this moment of worship where I felt like, I saw my body and its purpose and the miracle that it is for the very first time. So now, like, if I have girlfriends that say to me, like, oh, you're so, so, like, I'm on my period, it's so gross, I'm like, no, like, you have no idea what an amazing thing that is. So it's, everything changed in the way I saw my body. Everything changed with what I did, even what I didn't do. Okay, so no longer would it be appropriate for a new mom, oh, I'm just gonna stay out late, I'll leave the baby in the crib with the bottle on the side and I'm gonna be out and come back around 11, it should be good. Um, you don't do that. You don't spend a bunch of money on frivolous things anymore because you've, gosh, like, yeesh, gotta somehow make it through until college and then, okay, maybe we can start spending something on ourselves, right? Am I right? Yeah, you know, I also didn't drink too much or eat unhealthily because literally what went into me went into my baby. And um, I think you can see where I'm going with this. So the new life that we have in Jesus and the new identity that he gives us, it changes the way we see ourselves. And it's not only gonna change the way you see yourself, it's gonna change the way you're purposed. It changes what you use your body, your gifts, and your time for. Being a follower of Jesus, it doesn't just give you new life, but it actually changes who you are and your relation to everybody around you. No longer are you just Hassan or Simon or Shirley. You're a child of God. You are a child of royalty, the king of kings. My favorite verse to do with this is John 1, verse 12. It says, 
To all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And I have a good friend who says this to me fairly regularly, but in 1 John 3 verse one it says, how crazy is this? I'm paraphrasing, how crazy is this? The love that God has lavished on us that we should be called his children. Uh, For those of you who have families and moms and dads who love you, this may not be such amazing news, but for those of you or those of us who have not got good relationships perhaps with our moms and our dads or no longer have them, this is completely life-changing. God, our Heavenly Father, is our perfect, perfect source of love and life and identity. You know, it's no longer what your parents, your teachers, your friends, or the world says about you that is most important. It is what God, your heavenly Father, says about you that is the most important. Ephesians 2:13 says that you who once you who were once far away have been brought near. And I really like that because we drift we tend to muddle through life, and I feel like God is such a good shepherd, and he keeps bringing us back to him. So not only the way that we see ourselves change, but what we do with our bodies, what we do with our mouths and our words, that changes as well. Just a little earlier in that verse um, of Ephesians, where it's talked about how God takes us from death into life. It says, so therefore, we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us. So for example, if you're wanting to know God, there are some things you're probably gonna do, right? You're going to want to come and be in his presence with other Christians. You're going to want to ask questions, maybe even read the Bible and see what he has to say. And what is important about this is, you know, it's very difficult to forget that you're a mom. You've got this baby that's gonna cry, um, and it's also very difficult to get rid of a baby. So it's a very present and visceral reminder of the fact that, okay, I'm a mom, and. If I don't feed it, it's gonna cry. If I don't take it to the doctor to get vaccinated, he's not gonna be healthy. But as Christians, it's really hard to have physical, visceral things that can remind us, okay, no, you're not this way anymore. You are this way. You've been bought with a price. You've been brought near. You've been transferred from darkness into light. Don't think you're stupid, you're not stupid. You're a child of God. Just this morning as we were worshiping, I felt like God impressed on my heart 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, where it says, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone and the new has come. And this is why things like baptism are so amazing because it's a physical, visceral, physical experience. Did I say physical twice? I did. 
so it's doubly physical. So you go into the water and you come up. I mean, what an amazing picture of the dead things going under the water and the new life coming back up. There's a very powerful book. It's not written by a Christian, but it's an amazing book called The Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg. And I really recommend you read it because he talks about the things that we do without thinking. The things which just come so naturally to us, it's almost like, it's like breathing. Breathing is a good habit to have. Without breathing, we wouldn't last very long. But he makes the point that we are like a sum of all of our many, many, many little habits all put together. It's an amazing book. But what I want you to think about right now is how can we remember this new life, this new identity that we have in Jesus? There's this book that I just recently read called The Spirit of the Disciplines by um, Dallas Willard, and I really recommend it. And his, if I can be so bold as to paraphrase an entire amazing book that someone else has written, he basically says, you're kidding yourself if what you do with your body and your time doesn't reflect what you believe who you are inside. That everything that we believe has to find its way out. I would be a terrible mom if I didn't actually, I don't know, make sure that my kids got to school on time or took them to get their vaccinations. I could say I love my kids, but if I don't actually make them dinner, am I really loving them? Anyway, this guy, he says, the new life in Christ is not simply an inner life of belief and imagination. It is a life of the whole embodied person in the social context. And he also quotes, um, my friend Kate is not here, she's on her honeymoon. <laughs> um, but she loves C.S. Lewis and she always quotes the screw tape letters. So the screw tape letters is basically a letter written by um, this demon called uh, Uncle Screwtape and he has an apprentice demon called Wormwood and he's telling Wormwood how to basically make sure that you know, people stay on the dark side and don't make it over to the, to the light. And it says here, <clears throat> Uncle Screwtape reproaches the apprentice demon Wormwood for permitting his patient to become a Christian. But he says, there is no need to despair. Hundreds of these adult converts have been reclaimed after a brief sojourn in the enemy's camp and are now with us. All the habits of the patient, both mentally and bodily, are still in our favor. Isn't that so profound? If someone's habits remain the same, they will realize little of the life in Christ. So... We are given new life when we come to Jesus. That changes everything about us. It changes what the truth is about where we came from, what we were purposed for. We are loved, we are valued. 
It also changes what we have been created to do. And it is so important to build in markers that are gonna help us remember who we are. So I want us to think about two questions, and this I want you to go away with and maybe spend some time in prayer and ask God about. But number one, who are the people in your life who can remind you of who you are in Christ? You know, like Mufasa in the clouds, remember who you are. (laughs) Because we're going to act out of who we believe ourselves to be. We can't fake it for too long. So number one, who are the people in your life who can remind you of who you are? And number two, what habits can you begin to incorporate to help you remember on a daily basis who you are? Um, And this book, The Spirit of the Disciplines, is really good. It talks about things we do as Christians and then things that we maybe abstain from, you know, talking about like solitude or silence or fasting. I mean, it's, this is a whole nother sermon. The spiritual disciplines or good habits that, you know, have been passed down to us from ages past, you know, 2,000 generations of Christians have been practicing how to be Christians. We can't just imagine that here in 21st century, we have it all sewn up and nicely done with a bow. I want to encourage you all to look back at our spiritual mothers and fathers and learn from the centuries past, learn from people who have gone before us. So the people in your life who can remind you of who you are in Christ, do they know who they are? It would be all very well for me to say, oh, well, Raquel reminds me of who I am, but if Raquel doesn't realize that she has that amazing power in my life, she may not be so bold. By the way, Raquel, you can always remind me of who I am in Christ. Um, Now, of course, the problem can be that we're all gonna go out and just try super hard and get all of our habits down, and we're gonna start praying every morning and reading our Bibles every morning, we're gonna come to church three times a week, and we're gonna do this, and we're gonna do that, and then we're going to give up because it's too hard. Um, I want to remind you that we have the Holy Spirit to help us. It says in John 14, verse 26, the counselor, the Holy Spirit, who the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything that I have said to you. And so, not only does he give us new life and rewrite the truth of our lives and give us new identity, but he also empowers us to live that out. That same strength and power that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside of us. Isn't that amazing? And so, um, you're lucky, I finished early today. Way to go me. Um, But I wanna pray, um, and I wanna ask the band if they can come up. And I just, I would like us to just think about what God might be saying to us this morning about who we are in Him, and if the life that we are living 
is truly flowing out of that. Um, and then we'll take it from there. I'm gonna pray for us. Father, thank you. Thank you for the new life that you've given us in Jesus. Thank you that just, just as it is such a miraculous, profound thing when a human being comes into the world, it says the angels rejoice in heaven over one sinner who repents and comes to you. And I thank you for that strength that you show when you rescued us. And I wanna pray for every person here that they would know the truth of the life that you've called them to. I wanna ask, Lord, for your spirit to move right now and to just touch areas that maybe have been dead or feel dead. And I ask that you would bring your new life. You're in the habit of bringing new life, Jesus. And so we bring our lives to you, trusting you to make a new thing out of us. Amen. I want to commission us as we leave here, then I'm gonna close us in prayer. The, the metaphor of, of motherhood, parenthood, even um, childbirth, it's a powerful metaphor, and it's one that you find uh, throughout Scripture. The Apostle Peter wrote in one of his epistles um, that the, the forming of Christ in us, the coming of the kingdom of God, it's like childbirth. And he says it's a painful process, um, but the new life that comes as a result, the joy of that makes all of the pain just seem insignificant in the light of the gift to come. I was there. I was there in the room when our eight-year-old came into the world, Isaac. Didn't do a lot. I prayed. I held onto her hand. That's something. Here's, a, here's our commission as we go out of this place. My commission is that we would partner with our king. Jesus wants to include us. He calls us co-heirs, co-laborers in Christ. That we would look for what God is doing around us in our own lives, but around us, and be those who would come alongside others. Maybe grab their hand, begin praying for them. Maybe they're actually in the very difficult, painful process of coming into the kingdom of God, of being born again themselves. God would use us. He would work through us even to come alongside of them and pray and pray and stand with them and encourage them and remind them of how good and faithful God is. And when the enemy tries to come and, and somehow undo that or stop that or slow that process down, we would pray and we would fight and we would believe and we would stand with others as Jesus brings them into the family of God. Amen. Amen? Are you guys with me? And you may say, I need someone. I need to take my hand. Take my hand. If that's you, like Shirley said, you might need to go find someone and be like, hey, be, be my person. 
remind me of who I am in Jesus. And then go out and grab someone else's hand. Say, come on, we're, no one's gonna do this alone. It may hurt, it may seem desperate, but joy will come in the morning. Does that make sense? Father, help us. <laughs> thank you, Marcos. <laughs> Father, thank you for the great privilege of being called your sons and daughters. Thank you that you've adopted us. And because of who you are and what you've done for us in Jesus, we can confidently declare we are yours. We are loved. We belong. And I pray that you would help us to be aware of what you're doing around us, that we would be those who come alongside of others and take them by the hand and say, I'm here, I'm with you. I'm praying for you. I'm standing beside you. Utilize us as your children to see more and more lost sons and daughters come home. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. We have a special treat for the moms. We have a small horde of little ones standing in the back with gifts for their moms. Guys, if you want to find your mom or a mom or someone who you might think is a mom, and give them their Mother's Day gift. There we go. You looking for your mama? Very cool. Do we have extras? Okay, we have extras. If you're a mama or a grandmama, I need you to slip your hand up. We've got a gift for you. There we go. Anyone expecting? That counts. Anything we should know about? There we go. Thank you, kids. Thank you. Thank you, little ones. Well done. <laughs> Guys, have a great Sunday. Mamas, happy Mother's Day. I hope you have a wonderful afternoon. I love you guys. See you next week. Men, don't forget. <laughs>